he's the most emotional in A New Hope. After that, mm-hmm. he gets pretty, he's much more subdued, especially in uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. He's very understated a lot of the time. And so I'm guessing it's from that. that okay, like, yeah. The, the one, Luke with him shit figured out is pretty calm and collected and doesn't show as much of his emotion as he as a lot of other characters yeah because he's a jedi now well he's a jedi now but i think a little bit also because that way you can't tell whether he's good or bad early on Uh, Mm. because i i've seen a theory that you're not because he does he like chokes the gamorians at the very beginning yeah He's not showing emotion, and he's wearing all black. Right. It's so not that to be hard a little... to be like, is he maybe falling to the dark side? And then in the final battle, when he uh, explicitly goes and says, no, I'm a Jedi, his folded piece of uh, fabric on his chest falls open, and the inside is white. Mm. So you know that he's good inside. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, but I think it does kind of hold up. Yeah, that'll be interesting to keep in mind if I rewatch them. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the original trilogy for once. No. <laughs> this is Star Wars Eulogy. Join us in remembrance of Star Wars Young Jedi Knights Shadow Academy. I'm Spencer, and I've read over 180 uh, Star Wars EU books. I'm Alice, and I've read at least two Star Wars EU books. <sighs> so what did you think of Shadow Academy? I really liked it. I, it was very enjoyable. I read the entire thing in one day. <laughs> nice. I think I read it over... Just a couple of days, too. Uh, I think I had to take a break partway through, but rereading it, mm-hmm. I read it, the, I think, basically in two halves. Yeah, that's fair. It, it definitely feels like there's a good break point midway through. Yeah. And if it wasn't like the holiday weekend, I probably would have <laughs> put it down and gone and done other stuff, but I had plenty of time, so... Yeah, I think I stopped because I needed to pack to go somewhere for the holiday weekend mm-hmm. and then finished it the next day. So, yeah, um, I think when I'm editing, I'm going to write down an outline for this up ep- for the episode. So I know the structure that we've kind of created. But um, yeah, I do recall giving a summary of the le- previous book. Would you like me to do that again? <laughs> that would be great. Um, And later we can figure out if in the future we want to pass that duty back and forth or if you want to keep doing that. Yeah. So uh, the book opens with uh, 
Jason in a very tense lightsaber duel with some unseen foe, which is a very dramatic way to open a book. And uh, what's fun is that drama is completely undercut by the realization that he's just playing around with Luke's lightsaber when Luke was not in the office. Uh, yep. <laughs> got scolded about not being ready for a lightsaber. That kind of thing probably won't play into the lessons learned in this book at all. Um, but no, uh, Jason, Jaina, and Loey are, and M3 are going on a trip to Lando Clarissian's magic space gem mining station mentioned in the previous book. Uh, Jason is trying to get Luke to force Tenelka to go with them. And Luke says, no, she has her reasons. Just, just let her vibe, dude. Don't try to force your friends to do things. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting because it's like, he just, it's sweet that he just wants his friend to come mm -hmm. and he misses her. But at the same time, he does just need to learn, hey, she probably, there's probably a reason, even if she's not willing to tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. People have boundaries and you need to respect their boundaries. Um, yeah. So the group splits off, uh, the main group goes to the mining station and they take a special quantum armor diving bell pod to the core of Yavin, the big gas giant, not the moon, to get Karuska gems, which are truly the weirdest MacGuffin crystal I've ever heard. They're just space diamonds. They're like super space diamonds, the hardest substance in the entire galaxy. And well, diamonds are the yeah. toughest substance on Earth, so that's why I said they're space diamonds. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so they have a, you know, just a fine trip down to the core of the planet, grab a gem, go back up, and everything's fine and nothing bad happens, except that the mining station is assaulted by a small armada of ships. Skip Ray Blast Boats. You might recognize those if you've listened to Campaign Star Wars. Uh, Lando is convinced that they're there to steal his diamonds, which is a fair assumption to make. But they're not. They're there solely to kidnap the children and don't steal any diamonds along the way. Which I feel like is... Uh, I mean, good on you for having priorities, but you gotta seize opportunities when they present themselves, you know? Yeah, I feel like it should have been pretty clear they weren't there to steal diamonds when they used the diamonds to break in yeah, to the they <laughs> space station. That's the point where you go, they were willing to buy my gems before, mm -hmm. so why would they be here to steal the more of them when they're my biggest customer? Because they're like the only people he ever sold industrial grade gems to. I mean, it felt kind of like uh, going to a gun store, buying a gun, and then using the gun to rob the gun store. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, so Jason, Jaina, Loey, and M3 are kidnapped. Rip, I'm sure, MTD, sorry, not M3. <laughs> I'm sure we won't hear anything of them later. Meanwhile, Tanelka is stressed out because uh, her grandmother, not the cool uh dathomirian grandmother but her 
Hapes Collective grandmother is sending a royal entourage to check, I mean, spy on her. Uh, and she doesn't want her friends to know that she's a space princess yet. So she's glad that they're away on their field trip where nothing bad is happening. Uh, except then something bad happens. Um, Luke gets the message right as she's like on the phone with this person and says, sorry, emergency, you'll have to wait until later. So Luke and Tanel go off to hunt down whoever kidnapped the kids and they're on their own rescue mission. Uh, and then the book cuts back and forth between those two adventures uh, pretty well. Actually, I think that does a good job of managing the pacing between the two. I can't remember exactly what happens, so I'm just going to go through one and then the other and then see where they meet up at the end. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you might have guessed from the title of the book, Shadow Academy, that our children have been kidnapped and brought to a Shadow Academy, a massive space station that is cloaked somewhere within the core worlds where the Dark Jedi Brachus, you remember Dark Jedi Brachus? There's a song about Dark Jedi Brachus. Uh, <laughs> he's raising young Force users to be Dark Jedi for the new Empire. Um, along with Brachus, we meet other friends, like Quarrel. Quarrel's back, the shuttle pilot from the first book. He's got a robot arm now and is uh, makes a point of saying that he was re-indoctrinated and seems happy about it. The amount of time they just use the word indoctrination seems a little weird to me. Usually I'd expect them to like cloak that in other language, but they're pretty upfront about it. Yeah, I think I feel like that's got to just be a uh, way that this book is trying to simplify mm -hmm. itself for a child audience. That it's like, that oh, sense. if we make it too subtle, they won't catch it. Because otherwise, it's really weird how everyone just is like, yeah, we might, we brainwash people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in addition to Brachus and Coral, we meet uh, Teneth Kai, not to be confused with Tenel Ka. I don't know who has made the decision to name these characters so similarly. But uh, Teneth Kai is a new night sister who is helping Brachus uh, corrupt the youth into evil Jedi, uh, mostly through manipulative mind games. They put Loi in a torture room where he is blasted with cold water and bombarded with light and sound until he uses his Wookiee rage to smash a box real good. Um, also, they reprogrammed mtd to uh spout imperial propaganda at Lowy constantly i guess they tried i don't think it's ever very effective um no i think that kind of backfires on them yeah <laughs> I, th I think it kind of just like doubles them down on resisting because mtd is not subtle about it maybe if mtd was capable of subtlety but they're not no um, also, Brachus uses force mind manipulation techniques to try and brainwash people while giving lectures, uh, has Jason and Jaina fight in lightsaber hollow training, uh, eventually culminating with them fighting each other while each of them is cloaked as an image of Darth Vader. Uh, Quarrel, who is watching this, particularly doesn't enjoy this section. He gets very upset about 
the cruel things that Brachus is doing to these kids who were nice to him. Um, and also there's a room where Jason and Jaina have to use the force to deflect objects thrown at them while they're blindfolded. And Loey has to use uh, like little remote zapper drones to try and also protect them. Uh, the objects being like softballs and then rocks and then knives. Uh, which eventually ends because Loey hacks the computers and shuts it down. Uh, eventually the kids decide, you know what? We're sick of this. We've been through enough. Now we're going to break out because Brackus said that he's going to go back to the academy to kidnap more students and we got to stop him. So uh, Jason uses the Kariska gem that he was able to catch in the beginning of the book to cut a hole through the inner wall of the ship and unplug his doors controls so he can escape and once he's able to get Jaina and Loey out, they're able to hack into the station, shut things down, and get to the docking bay. Uh, meanwhile, Luke and Tanel have been gallivanting across the galaxy, chasing down leads, following up on uh, Lando's gem broker friend who's selling them. Uh, they do some really cool detective work, and they disguise themselves as traders from Randor or something, I think. Uh, yeah. What yeah. is the name? Something like that. I can't remember the exact yeah. name of the where they're supposed to be from. Yeah. And they find out that uh, only one person has bought imperi- industrial grade Kariska gems and they were on Dathomir. And wouldn't you know it, Tenel's also been having nightmares about Night Sisters being back on Dathomir, even though they were supposedly wiped out. But when they show up, the Night Sisters are back somehow. Um, there's a bit of an uncomfortable bit on Dathomir where Luke stays in slave tents because slavery is a thing in Star Wars. Remember that? Yeah. But, but Dathomir's eventually- different because they only have male slaves. <laughs> mm. Look, I get you have fantasies. You don't need to put those fantasies into your space novel. Uh, if we ever read uh, The Courtship of Princess Leia, which is where both yeah. Hapes and Dathomir come from, we will be talking about fantasies. Oh, I look forward to it. That's going to be a time. Um, yeah. So on Dathomir, they pretend like they're just Dathomirians looking to join the new Night Sisters. And geez, there's no OPSEC at this Night Sister camp. No one recognizes who Luke Skywalker is, which seems weird, but they get through and they get brought upon this fancy new. Im- Imperial shuttlecraft that has quantum armor. Remember quantum armor from the beginning of the book? It's back again and are being brought, fortunately, to the Shadow Academy. And wouldn't you know it, they arrive at the same time that Jason, Jaina, and Loey are staging their escape, and everyone's able to reconvene and get out of there. And then we go back to Yavin 4 to the Young Jedi Temple. And we all have nice little decompression moments, including Luke talking to Jason 
and saying, here, show me what you learned at Shadow Academy about, you know, using a lightsaber. And Jason takes it and he says, I learned I'm not ready for this. And he hands it back to Luke. And that was a really nice moment. And I believe that's where it ends. Yes. Uh, a couple of things. In, right when they, right about when they meet up, there's a couple of interesting plot points that I just want to note that are mm-hmm. pretty easy to skip over in the large view. But uh, they can't get the, sh- the doors back open to get the ship out. And Quirrell oh, yes. hits the button. Because mm-hmm. nobody else is in the room. They're off trying to find them. And so he just pushes the button and lets them go free and then goes back to pretending he's totally okay with the Empire. Yeah. Um, and uh, Brackus and Luke meet up for about two seconds and have a little chat. And then yeah. go their separate ways again. They act like they're about to fight and then they get split up. I don't remember exactly what what separates them, but um, I they believe- don't actually have a fight. I believe they're like approaching each other and Jaina shoots shoots the door controls and closes the door between them. Oh, yes. Yeah, they have a nice it's very clearly mirroring uh Obi-Wan and Darth Vader's encounter on the Death Star in a new home. Yeah. But in a way that doesn't feel like a heavy-handed reference the way that mm-hmm. these books have done a few times yeah no it's definitely not a shot for shot remake but it is meant to evoke similar themes like i believe luke says i sense something i haven't sensed in or something to that extent yeah i just meant i liked it a lot better than like earlier (laughs) they're like they're gonna go to the the disreputable bar and lando's describing how much it's not a great place and Luke goes oh it's just like Tatooine and Moss Eisley and I'm like can we stop making that joke now I I yeah I think I actually like that uh because I think it was Lando who's like you know it's like Moss Eisley so you'll fit in fine there that's true I liked it better because then uh Mm -hmm. later Tenel caused like oh yeah that sound a bunch of people who might want to kill me that sounds like my grandma's yeah. Ports back on Hapes. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. At least we're not just referencing the movies. <laughs> this they it just it's a common enough thing in Star Wars that every time somewhere is kinda shady, they have to reference, oh, it's just like Moss Eisley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that, that becoming an issue. But yeah. And so I'm tired of that one, but it was a better version of it, I think, even then. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to talk about some dark side? Yeah. Let's start with the dark side, because I believe that's what we did first, too. Yeah. Um, um, did you have anything off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, my main issue is that they named the new dark force lady teneth kai and it's just way too close to tenel ka for me that's completely fair i yeah i get that she's also from dathomir and she might be intended to be sort of a dark mirror of 
who Tenelka could be, so that might be why they're named similarly. But also, uh, you need to allow your readers to keep the characters distinct in their mind, and having names that close together makes it very difficult. Yeah. It, I, I do agree. I think that was just a poor choice of name. Mm-hmm. You could get away with either a first name that starts with a T or a last name that starts with a K. But doing both, and especially Kai versus Ka, mm-hmm. is just way too close. And Teneth versus Tenel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all just way too close, and I don't know why. Because it's not like everyone from Dathomir that showed up before has like very such similar names either. Mm-hmm. Um, which one thing I did think about m- mentioning there. Um, so you may have come across Night Sisters previously, uh, from the Clone Wars. Cause I think yeah. you said maybe you watched that. I've watched the Clone Wars, uh, the Night Sisters kick ass in the Clone Wars. I actually really like them. <laughs> yes. They're very different than the Night Sisters from, uh, that show up. This early on in Star Wars, uh, both in uh, The Court of Princess Leia and then in these books, in oh, some okay. ways. In other ways, they're very similar. One important distinction. In this, they're pretty much all human. I think they're all human. It's Because there are humans who live on Dathomir, and some mm. of the people turn to the dark side and they're night sisters. Whereas the ones in Clone Wars are like half, part human, part uh, Zabrak. Yeah, that that is interesting because um Dathomirians seem to be fairly just another human-like species in Star Wars in at least in this book given how easily Tanelka blends in as other random human planet and how easily Luke passes as a Dathomirian uh whereas in like the Clone Wars and stuff there's a lot of Zabrak who live in on Dathomir and stuff. Yo. Uh, that yeah, so in in these it's all at this point in Star Wars, it's all humans that live on Dathomir. That's it. Mm. So, that's a uh there are other like species that aren't fully sentient. Um one thing that kind of gets brought up in this is Dathomir is the planet that Rancor are from. I believe it's mentioned that a couple of them are riding on Rancor. Yep. But that's because that's where they're from. And apparently they are like, they're incredibly smart animals. Almost, they're semi-sentient according to uh, the courtship of Princess Leia. Hmm. So that's that's an interesting thing. Mostly important to know that they're a little bit different than people who are familiar with them just from Clone Wars, which is kind of what made them more well-known outside of people who've read a bunch of the books. Um, yeah. Uh, but back on dark side things. Um, I think the... The one thing, and it's another minor thing that I have that's really a dark side thing, 
Well, I got a couple. Um, but one of them is there's a weird moment of gender when Jason gets the Corsica gem. Uh, he's the only one who's able to fish one out of the uh, gas giant. Yeah. Because uh, he uses the force. And then he's like, I think I'll give it to mom for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird that it's like, oh, I'm going to give this to my mom. And, like, there's not even any discussion of, like, okay, can you get something anywhere near that valuable for your dad? <laughs> Why uh, do you? But it seems like it's just a, oh, mom would like the shiny gem moment. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of weird, especially because for the most part, the books, these books have done a really good job with the kids, not having them be super stuck in gender roles. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much of that is like, they just weren't thinking about it, or if it's a little bit of like, kids are allowed to be a little bit more flexible with their gender roles. And then as they get older, we've got to enforce them more strictly and adults have to fit into these predefined roles super well. Yeah. Um, it's definitely interesting. I think it might have been a thing, like, sometimes it, there's vibes that Jason is a little closer with Leia and Jaina's a little closer with Han. That's fair. That's fair. I could see that, too. Or it could just be a thing of uh, Leia would keep the gem and you know does official politics business where she might need a fancy gem necklace thing han would probably sell the gem because i don't think he'd have much reason to keep it other than hey my kid gave me this cool rock yeah that's true i i did like lando's response of dang Maybe I should get some kids if you're just giving your parents <laughs> priceless gems like this. Yeah. I I like how much Lando is the space capitalist. It's kind mm. of fun. Um I just wish he wasn't the only black character. <laughs> Don't Which we is all? just a general complaint with Star Wars, mm -hmm. but the more you dig into him and his kind of not he trying to be a good guy, but not the best guy kind of thing, the more I'm like, can we please just have a couple other people in this book that aren't as white as fresh snow? Yeah, uh, it is definitely a thing of like, it's partially on the films for having him be the only black character, but also you're introducing a lot of new characters and they probably don't all need to be white. Yeah, especially because you don't, you're not even casting people for them. Mm-hmm. They, mo half of them aren't even going to appear on a cover. They will never be shown in a vis visual medium. You can just type a couple of words. That's all you need to do. Yeah. It's so easy and they just don't. And so it leads to some awkwardness with Lando, even if I do really like him as a character removed from that context. Absolutely. Um, I did think, compared to the rest of the book, the 
amount with which we went over how gem mining worked was a bit excessive. I got a little bored in the gem mining. Okay. I It was still good, but I, I just felt like it went on a little bit too long. Mostly the stuff before they actually get out into the ship. When he's like, mm-hmm. let me walk you through all the steps we do to mine these gems. I'm like, I'm not sure this... Part of it was I reread the book and then I was going back through the book a second time mm-hmm. to take some notes on different stuff I wanted to talk about. And I felt like in that, I definitely felt like I was like, okay, this part kind of drags a bit. But it's it worked pretty well for me the first time. So it might have just been that I wanted to get back to the other stuff because of how much I like it more than any real problem with it. Yeah, I think, uh, again, in, like, pretty clear callbacks to the movies that him walking the kids through the station was supposed to be a callback to uh, him introducing Han and Leia to Cloud City and the mining operation he has up, he had it there. That makes sense. Yeah. I... I didn't really think about how much that was a parallel. So yeah, I can definitely see that. And that does make more sense. And it also, it's kind of, it's the start of the book. And so it's starting to build the momentum. So I'm, I give it a, I give the first few chapters of a book, a lot of leeway for being a little slow. Cause yeah, it's hard to come in at full speed. Oh yeah. Um, one thing that I was curious was on your uh, Dark Side last book, and I knew we'd be coming back to it a little bit, and I wanted to see if it was still a Dark Side thing, was Quarrel and Disability. Yeah, um, that's an interesting thing that I'm not sure... I'm really the person to talk about because uh, Jason and Jaina seem pretty convinced that with like back to technology and stuff, they would have been able to restore functionality to Coral's arm, which was pretty severely injured in the crash. And when we meet him, it turns out he had his arm amputated and replaced with a droid arm. Um, And there's a bit of talk about, like, oh, we could have fixed it or given you a, like, biosynthetic artificial arm, I think is the term they use. Yeah. Basically referencing Luke's hand. Yeah. Coral's response is, no, this is my arm now, and it's stronger and better because it helps me serve the Empire better. So it's... There is a thing. I know there are some amputees who very much want their prosthetics to look like prosthetics because they don't want to hide or camouflage the fact that they're an amputee. But also, Mm -hmm. a lot of his response seems to be stemmed from more indoctrination and brainwashing. So it's hard to gauge what his actual feelings on that treatment are. Um, Yeah, I... 
<laughs> oh, go ahead. No, no. It also strikes me that um, the empire, the new Imperium, should also have had the Bacta technology, like. Good doctors are not solely a New Republic thing. I think what it's implying is that they didn't mm. want to, sp- that they did the cheapest option. That a yeah. droid arm is cheaper than either trying, and less time consuming than either mm-hmm. trying to heal it or trying to get him a better arm. Yeah. Is, is it, what it, it's implied. That they gave him a cheap, and it's only useful because it's strong, mm. and it's not doesn't really do much else. And I I think that's what it's trying to imply, but it it could it's hard to tell whether it has other bits underneath that that are a little bit more questionable. But I th- I think that's what it's going for is that they're saying, oh, we could have given you more time and more attention because we actually care about you as a person. The empire only cares about what you can do for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that definitely fits with the empire's whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's not a subject that they spend a ton of time on. So we don't really get a good sense of what Coral actually thinks about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so and it's hard to tell how much they actually, Jason and Jana were right, because they are also a couple of 14-year-olds mm-hmm. who have no experience with medical technology, really. They just say they could have done that. And we have nobody who can really say that definitively anyway. Most likely yeah. you could have done an arm more like Luke's, which is both... There's some of the, it looks more like a normal arm, quote unquote, as it being better. But I wonder if it also has better, like, ability to feel touch and things like that, whereas the droid arm might not. But I don't, it's hard to tell whether that's the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something that's a complicated issue that... uh someone who has a prosthetic would probably be more suited to talk about if it's handled well or not. I definitely think it it's more carefully handled though than I think uh, the cover of the last book at least was. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely given more thought and care than my initial reaction to the cover of the first book. I'd really like to know, um, because this is still not the end of our, uh, we will be talking about disability in this book series more, uh, is all I can really say to that without spoiling too much. Okay. Um, But there's more coming, and I would love to be able to discuss that with someone who has more experience with this, um but it'll be interesting to see because it's the more quarrel shows up and, and the making a more distinct reference to Luke also Mm -hmm. being someone with a prosthetic and actually like remembering that and not just ignoring that he does have 
a prosthetic arm mm-hmm. is really interesting. Um, and it, it's a little bit of a ongoing theme here. So, especially in a, it's also the, the disability stuff with prosthetics is definitely also better than the Star Wars movies in which Obi-Wan talks about Darth Vader being more machine now yep. than man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is not good because no. his evil has nothing to do with his prosthetics. Those are two mm-hmm. completely separate things about him. Yeah. And I guess, uh, in a somewhat similar note to that, there was a kind of throwaway line early in the book, I think, where it talks about um, Jaina's like mechanical expertise and all the things that she's like disassemble and analyze. And it includes droids in there, which is uh, kind of weird and uncomfortable because droids are mostly sentient creatures. <laughs> Just because they're, you know, synthetic, but they are treated as not being really alive a lot of the time in Star Wars, which is gross. Yo. Oh, yeah. But it could be that they're like dis... Like, you can turn a droid off in a way you can't turn off a person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even like... Which, actually, this is going to come up, bring up a point that I wanted to discuss with you about these books. Uh, but... Uh, we do see, uh, Anakin Skywalker doing that in episode one. He builds C-3PO in episode one. Um, and so he's tinkering with that. So that's kind of an interesting connection there. And that feels in a way less like, there are a lot of times it feels like C-3PO is not a person. But Anakin treats him like a person when he does that. When mm-hmm. he turns him on. I feel like he does in episode one. Tr- young Anakin treats him like he's a person. He still asks his opinion on things. So if it's in right. that kind of way, it's not quite as bad. But it's hard to tell. It It's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are definitely times where uh, Loey just turns off MTD. And sometimes it's somewhat justified, quote unquote, because MTD is spouting uh, imperialist brainwashing propaganda. But other times it's just because Loey's annoyed at MTV, MTD, so he turns him off for a while, which MTD is a person and you shouldn't just be turning off your friends if they annoy you. Oh, yeah. And I realized something about MTD reading this book that made me laugh. This wasn't the case when this book was written, but with the information we now know about C-3PO being made by Anakin Skywalker. MTD is also a grandchild of Darth Vader. It means he's their cousin. He's their cousin, yes. (laughs) I Uh, thought that was hilarious. And... It kind of reminded me of um, the... Have you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? No. In the later books of the Chronicles of Narnia, there's the four main 
kids in the original books. And mm. in the later books, their cousin shows up. And his name is Eustace. And he is an uptight kid who always wants things to be prim and proper mm-hmm. and is thus annoying. <laughs> and I think he's described as the kind of kid who deserves the name Eustace. <laughs> if that is so, he kind of, in some ways, MTD reminded me a little bit of him. Mm. When I made that connection of, oh, he's the cousin of the main characters. Which I just oh, thought was kind of funny. little connection. Yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, do you want to move into light side things? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Cool. Okay. First thing. So we decided that Tenoka and Jaina were lesbians who liked each other. Yes. Or at least Jaina liked Tenelka. In this book, Jason gets to be gay. They both get to be gay. That's true. This is amazing. Yes. Uh, Whenever Jaina is describing Tenethka, the the evil force lady, she's very gay for her. Um, A lot of talk about how, like, powerful and she is and like the allusions to her cloak being like stars and stuff and it's very cute and gay and then jason talks about brackis and keeps saying how he's like the most beautiful person he's ever seen and i love it yep so i i love that but i also looked up brackis on uh wikipedia mm-hmm. and i'm going to share with you Cool. A picture of one of the most beautiful humans that Jason has ever seen. Jason, you need to meet more people. <laughs> Yo, this is just a white guy. <laughs> this is just a With... blonde white guy who's not your uncle. <laughs> and he has like a Julius Caesar haircut? Yeah. Hmm. I do, I don't think that the people who do art for Star Wars know what makes a man attractive. <laughs> or at least did. Maybe mm-hmm. the, the people who are doing new canon do. But I don't think the people who were doing it at this point knew what attractive men looked like, apparently. I, I will say he's got like this... Uh low corset going on and it's got him it's giving him a nice little hourglass figure so he does have that's that true. going for him that's true his little waist training yeah thing it does give him that nice slim waist but he his head his face just looks like a like roman statue mhm it's but I did appreciate that both of the solo twins get to be very gay in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was nice. Um, and so to add on to my um, the the solo twins are gay theory, I have another theory. Uh, 
is Luke Tenelka's dad? No. We we I think Luke is Tenel. We find out that Luke is very close friends with Tenelka's mom. And I'm not discounting her other dad. You can have two dads and a mom. I'm all there for it. I think if I've read where he meets mm-hmm. her parents and he's very explicitly not interested in it with his mom with her mom it's not entirely outside of the realm of possibility that he's got a thing going on with her dad they are cool. much closer you know that makes sense for luke i'm he, here for it he gets to have some fun adventures uh with isolder mm so they they get to team up in that book. So I will have to get there eventually and read that book. Okay. There's some not great stuff in that book, but there's also a lot of really fun stuff in that book. Well, I look forward to that. And until I see <laughs> it disproven in text, I'm holding on to this Luke is Tenelka's dad, either biological or adoptive. I don't care which. That's fair. That's fair. The only problem that this results in is how can Jaina and Tenelka get together? I mean, it's cousins. a Star Wars. Cousins is better than siblings, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Uh, oh, um, just before we started recording, mm-hmm. I did discover something that I thought you'd... Uh, in our grand quest to discover that these books are basically just uh, role-playing game supplements. Um, the Corsica Gems, I looked them up. Oh. I was, and they are originally from a role-playing game supplement of about <laughs> Yavin and Bespin. Mm. Galaxy Guide 2, Yavin and Bespin. Interesting. And then I think the first time that they appear in a novel is in these books. Oh, actually, no. It looks like they appear in another book first. Oh, that's right. I know what book that is. But I think... I think that Galaxy Guide comes first. It might... Yeah, because that was published in 1989, and Mm. that book came out, I'm pretty sure, after that, but let me double check. Yeah, 1994. Mm. So, pretty distinctly after. So, yep. (laughs) So There might be other things, too, but that's the one that I caught. Um, Apparently, the first canonical appearance of Coriska Gems... Discounting all the EU stuff is the mobile game Star Wars Galactic Defense. And then they show up again in another mobile game. Yep, I think they are used as currency in those games. Mm-hmm. And aren't from Yavin. Which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's neat, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, I've got some notes for different things I wanted to discuss about. 
Oh, one thing on the writing that I really appreciate in this one compared mm-hmm. to the last book was that they split the party. They had the characters go in different areas. And so there was a lot less of the first book was pretty well written, but occasionally like Luke would say something and then all four of the trainees had to react. So it'd be mm-hmm. like, Loey threw up his hands, Jason gasped, Jaina's eyes widened, and Tenelka just sat there. And I'm like, we didn't need it, all of those. That was a little bit much. And so I appreciated the pacing was helped by not having to do that all the time. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, they did. They definitely split the kids up a lot earlier than they did in the other book. Uh, where they split them, split them up when Quarrel showed up and started blasting. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that definitely helped pacing. Overall, this book has a better pacing, which is understandable. It's the second book, so it doesn't need to set things up as much, and it doesn't have any of the. Also, remember this thing that happened in the movies. Because <laughs> we already explained that to you last book, so go read last book if you need a primer on the movies. Yo. I did want to say that um, in the acknowledgement section of this book, uh, it has a sentence that says, and the entire Star Wars Imaginette Echo computer bulletin board for helping out with the jokes. So we know who's responsible for all the bad jokes. It's the entirety of the Star Wars Imaginate Echo bulletin boards. I believe they were also thanked in the last book. And I believe on in that thanks, it was also mentioned that they helped come up with the name for Quarrel. Oh, deep. I don't recall that, but I think I also skipped the acknowledgements of the last book. So that makes sense. That would explain why I don't remember what was in them. Yeah, that's cool. It's neat to see that the like supposedly unofficial, maybe semi-official message board is has a role in the creation of this book. Yeah. But that's also the kind of thing that I don't know that you could do anymore because of oh, no, absolutely. Like, copyright issues. Yeah. Especially like, now that it's owned by Disney. There's no way Disney yeah. would let randos have any say in anything. Yeah. Well, and you could – like, it, it's theoretically uh, like risk of people suing you for stealing their ideas, even mm-hmm. though they posted them knowing that nowadays most companies aren't willing to risk that. They say don't – you can't send any pitches you have because theoretically you could get the creators could get in trouble for it. I know right. that's a big thing in a lo- that a lot of creators like, please don't send me your ideas. I'm sure yeah. they're great, but I can't use them even if I liked them. Cause I just, um, even if I know it's a thing like, even if you don't, use someone's idea if people know that you like read fan fiction and stuff and fan fiction writers happen to have similar things in their stories that you are planning for future stories that can cause an issue because there's no way to 
prove that you didn't copy it unless it's well known and established that you firmly do not engage with fan works. Yeah. Man, copyright's complicated. Oh, yeah. And sometimes just results in worse stories Mm -hmm. because of stuff like that, which is not great. Um... Oh, I did like um, just a little thing when uh, Luke and Tenelka are off on their uh, discovering information mm-hmm. um, thing on the asteroid uh, with the broker. I thought it was an in- a nice little detail that the um, culture that they were um, pretending to be from had a was specifically highly valued um the women uh who were yeah. ward cousins or whatever the term was is either ward cousin or bond cousin yeah yeah there's neat uh. little um it doesn't get fleshed out of the book but neat little like nods to other cultures in the galaxy that make it feel like a larger, more lived-in place. Um, yeah. yeah. I just thought it was also really cool because Tenelka is the product of two different cultures, but both mm-hmm. of those cultures are matriarchal. Women are in charge mm. of both of them. And so when Luke is coming up with a backstory for them, because I'm assuming he was in charge of that as the adult, yeah. he went, it's going to be easier for Tenelka to pretend to be from a culture that is also specifically honoring of the women and puts them first. Yeah. And I, you didn't have to put that kind of detail into it, but it, it both shows something about Luke that he's that careful and thoughtful in how he does these things. And it shows a lot of care on the writer's part to consider that because I don't think that's accidental. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I really liked the entire scene at uh, Shanko's Hive. The the bar oh, was yeah. very well described. I liked uh, Luke orders a a remote Terminator, and the bartender asks, "Would you like that pre-programmed or randomized?" <laughs> How do you? What kind of drink is a remote Terminator? So I was trying to think about that and figure it out. I do have a theory. Okay. I think it's a uh, bomb-style drink where you drop a shot in. Oh, okay. But I think it's one that, at a certain time, drops the shot in. Mm. I think it's somewhere in the middle, and it gets released. That's my theory. Oh, that's because, a fascinating cause I idea. Because I think it's a reference to a remote detonator mm-hmm. um, from... Episode six. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, that's obvious. It's a bomb. So I think it's a reference to that. And I think if it's a timing thing, you can either pre-program it. So after five minutes, the shot gets released. Or if you randomize it, you go from drinking your whatever it is before the shot comes in Mm -hmm. to then the shot comes in and it becomes an even stronger drink. Would be my guess. Yeah. I guess 
If I had to guess, I think it would be like a kind of a junkyard soda where you just hit a bunch of the taps at the soda machine and mix them up and then that could be too. It could just be like, I don't know, randomly pour stuff into a glass for me. Yeah. That would make sense too. And it's just a bunch of different liquors. So mm-hmm. it would be a strong drink as well. I, I was also really surprised to find out that uh, Tenel orders a Randoni Yellow Plague, uh, which is an actual alcoholic drink that Luke has her order. <laughs> Yo. And he's like, hey, don't drink that. It could kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And then she tries to get rid of it by dumping it into a plant nearby and realizes that the plant is actually a patron of the bar and not a decoration. That was one of my favorite parts of that scene. She's like, oh, sorry. (laughs) I also really liked there was a mention because it talked about there being a bunch of different uh, bands playing. But Mm -hmm. it mentioned one section of uh, photosensitive species that have strobing lights as their music Mm -hmm. and i thought that was really cool yeah that was really neat you're familiar with um the uh the name of the genre of music that plays in the cantina right oh jizz music jizz music okay i just had to make sure because if not you needed to know (laughs) Yeah. Oh, is there anything else you wanted to cover for the book? <sighs> Let me look. Oh, I, I think just the one thing really. I did want to. For first, I wanted to restate just how much I loved Jason's arc with the lightsaber at, especially the end of it, where he mm-hmm. realizes that he's not ready. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite part of that plot line is that the in that first scene with him and Luke, and he tells Luke, okay, you're the teacher, I'll listen to you. And mm-hmm. Luke stops him and goes, whoa, just because I'm your teacher doesn't mean I'm right. I can be wrong sometimes. I'm not wrong about this one. Right. And you should wait to use... The deadly laser sword. Mm -hmm. Because you are a 14-year-old boy. But just because I said it doesn't make it true. And you should be willing to ignore your teachers if that's necessary. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. we're wrong. Yeah. I did did like that part. And wouldn't you know it, that came important later on. Oh, yeah. But I think it's both... A good thing to put in your young adult novel Mm -hmm. to not just teach blind obedience to authority figures, but also a really good character beat for Luke. That he's aware of his own mistakes and failings and the mistakes and failings of his teachers. Because let's face it, Yoda and Obi-Wan both sucked at being teachers really badly. Yeah, there's... um. Actually, a moment in the in Jaina's perspective when they're at the like that first lecture that Brackus is giving, and it starts off 
pretty like normal oh like the force is all around us it flows through us and everything and jen is like yeah uh, this is i know this part so you know he's telling the truth here and then she talks about how like she kind of just zones out and lets what he's saying wash over her and part of it's uh helped along by him using the force on everyone in the room to brainwash them more effectively but also she really she like snaps herself back and like actually listens to what he's saying was like wait no you you started off in the right spot but you've gotten you gotten off course there and that's actually um parallel to how people are often radicalized is they they start off with baseline things which are true like you know it's really hard to earn enough money to keep the roof of your head and put food on the table and eventually they move from true things to things that are less and less connected to reality and more and more just trying to get you to align with their viewpoint of the world. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I thought that was well done. Agreed. I, it's interesting to see how much it seems to understand how some of that, like, uh, like manipulation happens Mm -hmm. when, you could worry, especially like with how we know that um, Quirrell was indoctrinated, but it kind of, if you just based off of him, it could feel a little bit like that's done with like super space tech that just, now he believes stuff. And there might be some of that, but there's at least some level to which the conditioning that they do is actual actual ways that people are radicalized into believing these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I did... I keep thinking of things to talk about. I feel like I could talk about everything I liked about this book for another hour, but... Yeah. Um, the big one is the... On Dathomir, um, the force powers that the that they show of bringing a storm mm-hmm. through the force is just a really cool way to make it just different enough from the force powers we see Jedi and Sith do mm-hmm. that it does really feel like, oh, these are a completely separate set of force users with their own history and their own ways of understanding how things work. But doesn't immediately feel like, okay, we're just going out on a limb here and the Force can do whatever you want it to. Because it right. kind of can anyway, but like it feels very in keeping with the things that you see the Force do. Absolutely. Yeah, because like, we've seen Force lightning before, so it's not that much of a stretch to say Force lightning storm. Yeah. When you can move rocks, why not move clouds? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Uh and I think, yeah, talking about the force actually is a thought I had while reading this book is um a lot of things happen in this book uh seemingly by coincidence. 
like Tenel Ka's uh, fancy rich person spy was just happening to come by at the same time that the kids got the opportunity to go to the mining station, which split them up, which allowed Tenel Ka to go with Luke to the bar and then Dathomir and then to the rescue them. And in like other stories, uh, too much coincidence kind of breaks your immersion. Like, okay, that's kind of a stretch that these things just happen to line up like that. But in Star Wars, you have the force, which is this amazing narrative structure because these things happen like that because the force wanted them to happen like that. The kids were kidnapped and taken to Shadow Academy because they needed to learn things at Shadow Academy, not from the Academy itself, but from their experiences there. Also, Quarrel probably needed to learn some stuff from the kids being there. Other students needed to learn that resisting against the Academy was possible and maybe even good. And also, Tanel needed to have this gallivanting trip through the galaxy with her maybe probably also dad. Yeah. Um, trying to think of if I have anything to say on that. I th- I do think it's just a really good um, way to exp- like it, it does feel like those coincidences are there for a reason um, in that like some of that is that that is the narrative structure but it's cool that that lines up with actually how it works in um, in universe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't get overplayed. It There's just enough that you can read it as the force, but it doesn't feel like, oh, well, it had to happen this way. Right. Nothing could have changed. Yeah. It's, there's no like, oh, and they, they tripped and fell and found the answer to their problems though that might happen and the force could do that too but it's it's not super heavy-handed yeah um talking about the shadow academy though did bring up one other thing i really liked about the book in my brain um which was uh when brackus is in his office Mm. he has the art up of extreme acts of destruction so like two soup two uh twin stars going supernova at the exact same moment he's got a like hologram of alderan blowing up and he draws strength from these sources like these ideas of great destruction and power because he connects those in his mind mm-hmm. there is no difference between being powerful and being able to destroy things. Yeah. And that that's what the dark side is, especially to him. Mm. Um, and how much, like, he and uh, Tameth Kai have different understandings of the dark side and different ways that they interact with the Force, too. They're not just the same bad guy, but twice. No, they, they don't always get along, and they have... Uh, disagreements and arguments with each other. Which is good. I like that. Yeah. Uh, they're not like a unified front. Agreed. 
Um, another interesting thing as a connection with another book that you nev- have never read, um, but I have, and mm-hmm. I think the book kind of expects that most people have because um, it's the series that kind of kickstarted the EU being popular. Um, I do think that the fact that he has those pieces of art is uh, to co- compare and contrast him with oh Thrawn uh, with Thrawn yeah because yeah. Thrawn's whole deal sounds like you do know but he, for he's any- like an art guy he's like ah I can look at your art and determine everything that is important about your culture yep in a kind of like almost Sherlock Holmes kind of way. Mm-hmm. Of like, I can just tell everything based off of this, which is a little silly, uh, because culture is more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it only works if you live in a universe with planets of hats, where every planet, everyone on it is basically the same person. Um, which what Star Wars is sometimes would make a universe where every planet was dominated by a single monoculture. What a ridiculous world building thing to do. Yo. Uh, sometimes you even have whole groups of planets where everybody's basically the same. Uh, like the Hapes Consortium, which has 63 planets and one culture. Oof. Ah. Uh. Right. They they have some like it's described that they like do a couple of things differently, but every mm-hmm. you know it's all one big culture. Some of that is because they're ruled by a queen mother mm-hmm. who is the absolute ruler of all sixty three planets. But you know, it still is a little bit that way. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. In a he's a villain who is specifically cultured and more refined than someone like Darth Vader or mm-hmm. Palpatine. You're supposed to respect him a little bit more. Yeah, he's not a good guy, but at least he has class. And yeah. Brachus is very distinct. He's not. He acts like he has class, but then his class is all I value is beautiful destruction. Hmm. There I feel is like that's a very... Oh. No, no, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. I just feel like that's a very, like, understated way of doing that, that put adds so much nuance to him in a way that if you weren't comparing him to someone else, I don't know that you could really do in such a short amount of time. Hmm. Yeah. The, there is an interesting bit of Brackus's character creation where or character development description, characterization, that's what it was, um, where he's described as um, being different from Teneth Kai and also from what we've seen of Darth Vader, who live fairly austere lives, where he likes comfort and luxury and enjoys these things. and very much has clearly put a lot of effort into making 
his quarters at the Shadow Academy uh, comfortable and where he wants to be, which is good because he's also kind of a prisoner on Shadow Academy. He's not allowed to leave, and the entire station is supposedly at least rigged to explode at the moment's notice of whoever is in charge of the new empire. Yeah. It's really interesting how much, like, he, thus he lives in a gilded cage, but he Mm -hmm. seems okay with that, but it does bring up a question of, like, how much is him being okay with that basically the same way that Quarrel's okay being where he is in the structure? Right. The same kind of thing, where it's, no, he's been kind of brainwashed into accepting these things that are really not okay. Mm-hmm. But because it gives him a place and a structure and a way of understanding everything, he's willing to put up with being a prisoner while claiming that all he cares about is being strong. Yeah. Because if I remember, there's he talks about his experiences at Luke's Academy, where he's like, yeah, I went, and I was brainwashed before I went, so that when Luke tried to brainwash me, my actual brainwashing protected me from his light side brainwashing. And he tried to show me how ugly and destructive the dark side is. And yeah, it was true. But you know what? I survived, and I came back, and I got my brain fixed to be more brainwashed. Because I'm good at this. Yeah. <laughs> to paraphrase, you uh, know, he, he's a little yeah. more eloquent than that. But that's pretty much what he says. Yeah. Um. Uh, oh, I... There's so many little things. I, I really do think Luke is so well written in these books. Because he gets to both be the, like... Um this head of the Jedi Academy who's the all-wise, all-knowing mentor. Mm-hmm. But he still gets to have these little moments where his personality sneaks through in very interesting ways. Because at the end of the book, they capture this that supply shuttle, and he's like, oh, let me take a look at this. I want to know all about this ship. Because mm-hmm. he also just loves spaceships. He's always loved spaceships. That's the thing he dreamed about when he was just a kid on a backwater planet. He dreamed about getting out of there and getting on cool spaceships. And he's done all that, and he still just loves cool spaceships. Yep. And I just think that Skywalker for you. Yo. But he just he gets to have that like childish joy about it. Mm Mm-hmm. For just a. It's a split second in the book, but I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be, if it wasn't there, I don't think I would be going, I really wish Luke would have, I mean, there'd be a part of me that would, but I don't know that I would notice it enough to voice it. Right. But because it's there, it's so valuable to making him a fully fleshed out character and not just... Mm-hmm. I am the Jedi Master who spouts all of the wisdom, and you should listen to everything I say because I am the author insert who <laughs> says exactly what the author thinks is the moral of this story. 
Oh, absolutely. He he does. I think it was in this book. He also says something about how uh, nobody he's ever met has been um, pure evil or pure good. Mm-hmm. And I would like to remind him that he met Palpatine. And I don't know, th- especially when he meets him. I, f- I feel like if anyone is pure evil, I feel like maybe it's Emperor Palpatine. Um, maybe. I don't know enough about Palpatine outside of the movies, I think. There's not a ton. There are mm-hmm. a few things that talk more about him and I, any that I can remember I don't think are super uh, suggesting that there's a whole lot else going on there than just basically pure evil but mm-hmm. we might have to keep an eye on that as we read other things yeah because I know there's there is a book um Called Darth Plagueis. That's about his. Mm. Darth Plagueis was his mentor, right? Or his, the master that he was apprenticed under. Mm-hmm. So, if we read that book at some point, that'll give us a little bit more. What was he like before he became the Sith master? And that might give the best sense of: Is there any good within Sidious? But I did really like the there is nobody's pure good or pure evil. Mm-hmm. But we, especially in a context where he still fights evil all the time. Because you can use that kind of saying to be like, and thus we should just live and let live and never stand up to fascists. Because I'm sure there's some good in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Luke Skywalker ever does. His whole story is about fighting the fascists. Right. Because it's important so. to fight fascists. Yeah. Uh, uh, punch stormtroopers in the face. Yep. And then, after you're done with that, maybe some of them can be redeemed. But you don't just let them do whatever they want until yeah. while you're talking to them. Absolutely not. All right. Sometimes you need to get out the lightsaber. I wholeheartedly agree. I think we're also getting wildly off topic again. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Do we have anything else? I think we might I, be at the end here. Yeah, I think we're at a good spot to end. Um, how deep would you like to bury this book? Oh, I've got to decide because I think I probably want to put it less deep than the last book. But that was already a pretty good book. So there's only so much higher we can go. <sighs> the more we talked about it, though, the more I liked it. Um, So I think I'm going to break the system a bit and say that it gets a Jedi funeral. It gets cremation. Oh, interesting. Since that's how Jedi... Mm-hmm have funerals in Star Wars, which I think is a little bit to say it's a it gets a true Jedi funeral shows that how much I like it. What about you? Um I similarly to you, I think I liked it better than the previous book. I think I'd give it just a foot deep burial. 
uh, if it were to be reanimated, there's just some stuff that would have need to be changed with Dathomir because Dathomir is a lot different in the canon than in the EU. But yep. other than that, there really wasn't much to this that needs to be fixed up. No, it didn't have nearly as many just weird parts to it mm-hmm. as the first book. And we do still, I say a Jedi funeral, but we do still have as a higher than that rating, something getting absorbed into the force like some Jedi do. So I, that's a very high, but that I, I am leaving myself open I for books to be a level up mm-hmm. from that of just this is a perfect the way it is kind of book. It could be put in the canon now kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Um, do we want to do any kind of outro with, um, you know, a lot of people Uh do like where you can find the hosts and that kind of thing. Uh, sure. If you'd like to plug your Twitter and stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how long Twitter still exists, but I think that makes sense for now. Cool. So I'm Alice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Magical Girl Kira. And I'm uh, Spencer, and you can find me at Formerly, formerly Kirby at twi- on Twitter. Um, and I think that's been this episode. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. Star Wars E-Hoology is hosted by Alice and Spencer. The Expanded Universe, also known as Legends, is an intractable quagmire of credits, but we are pretty sure that all copyrights are reserved by Lucasfilms, which itself is owned by Disney. Our intro music is from Desperation by Scott Buckley. Our outro music is from Remember the Heroes by Jason Shaw. Both are used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Please see our show notes for more details. So yeah, uh, have you been watching Andor? I have not. I really need to. I just haven't had the time yet. I've been yeah, hearing such that. great things about it. It's so good. Oh my god, the finale was last week. Yeah, there has not been much that hit. I I haven't watched any of the new uh, Disney Plus Star Wars shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the first one that's gotten me. Technically, I wa- I like half watched the first episode of Mandalorian after everybody yeah. gushed about that one. But yeah, I haven't seen any. I don't think I've seen any of the other Disney Plus Star Wars shows yet. Um, yeah, my wife said she wanted to wait for Obi Wan to be completely released before we watched it, and we just haven't watched it. Makes sense. But. I I've heard mixed things about it that it's not as good. But, mm-hmm. but you get to see, you know, old friends back. Yeah. It's always so. fun to watch Owen McGregor do stuff. Yeah, exactly.
And I think Hayden Christensen might be in it and be interesting to see if he's gotten. Oh, wow. He's at least I heard rumors about that before it started that he was going to be in it a little bit as Mm -hmm. maybe like a force ghost or flashbacks or something. So whether he's a better actor when he's not being directed by George Lucas would be (laughs) interesting at the very least. Aren't we all better actors when not being directed by George Lucas? I I have to assume so. Um, There's a story about that with Mark Hamill um, that uh, he suppose I don't know if it was a real thing or if it's just a rumor, but supposedly he said um, that he uh, basically would act with minimal emotion, and that was the take that Lucas would like. And he realized later that that was basically how George Lucas talked. <laughs> and that's what he wanted, especially specifically out of Luke. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that Luke is a self-insert for George Lucas. You mean Luke S. is an insert for Lucas? What? <laughs> um, and the, some of his uh, desire for that not very emotional tone of voice mm-hmm. might be because that's just how he actually is in real life. And so he does think that's the most realistic doesn't That's work wild. for everybody, though. Mm-hmm. It kind of works for Luke, but I don't think it really works for anyone else that does it. I. That's just so wild because I've never seen, I've never heard someone say that Luke is particularly unemotional. Like growing no. up, I've only heard people say, oh, Luke's so emotional. That's why we don't like him. Well, he is a little bit in 